Hello, and welcome to Medical Revolution in Progress. Today, I'm just doing a bonus episode regarding vaccinations, the increased number of vaccinations over the past 40 years, and just a little story about what I witnessed on my pediatric rotation when I was in PA school. Um, I'll link an article in here to give you some tips and just discuss the ethical issues surrounding forcing a child to be vaccinated. So I hope you'll join me as I tell you the story of the doctor who punched his patient. Hello guys. So today I just wanted to talk a little bit about uh, what I witnessed when I was in PA school. I was uh, doing my pediatric rotation in Connecticut and the place where I was doing my pediatric rotation was in a more affluent area of Connecticut, uh, close to the New York border. So the my men, my mentor or the person that was that I was learning from was a physician assistant, and then also obviously the pediatrician. And this pediatrician uh, was very well loved in the community. He actually had written a book that was published. I'm not going to give the name because I don't want to out this person. Uh, But suffice to say, he'd been practicing for quite a long time and it was a very busy, well-respected pediatric practice. I remember, you know, watching all the children coming in to get vaccinations. And depending on where you get your vaccination, usually it's an RN or registered nurse, at least in the state of Connecticut, who will give you the vaccination. Some states allow other people to do it, such as medical assistants, certified medical assistants. But in Connecticut, you have to have an LPN or an RN. Doctors can also give the vaccinations, as well as physician assistants and nurse practitioners. The laws may have changed, but that's what they were when I was practicing there. I remember there was a lot of kids who would come in and they would be very scared naturally of getting an injection in their arm. I don't think anybody really likes needles, but children in particular uh, tend to be pretty scared. Now, granted, it depends on, you know, the circumstances, uh, the parent's attitude, the staff's attitude and all these other things. And there are ways that you can sort of help a child feel more comfortable. I remember seeing uh, one child come in who I think was about one years, one, one and a half, two. And, you know, they were just having a really hard time controlling the child. And they put the baby, what I consider to be a baby, in this little papoose where basically it's like a straight jacket. And it just looked like something out of the Middle Ages, like a torture device. That really bothered me. However, this is something that's done. Uh, The reason it bothered me mostly was because vaccinations are not giving or aren't being given as a, quote, life-saving measure at the time. For example, if a child comes in, you know, to the emergency department or wherever and they're in anaphylactic shock and you need to give them epinephrine, I believe it's justified to 
do it by any means you can. And if that requires putting a baby in a little papoose or something, so be it. But a vaccination is not that. A vaccination is to prevent disease. And so I don't think that was justified, but you know, these are ethical issues that everybody deals with. Regardless, there was a young boy who came in, he was about 10 years old, and it was time for him to get one of his boosters. And he was not having it. He was not happy. And he immediately started, you know, crying and kicking and screaming, more so than I'd seen at that up to that point. And the mother was trying to console him. And, you know, they, they were just having a really difficult time. After, I would say, about 20 minutes, the nurse went up to the pediatrician and told him what was happening. And so the pediatrician went in and tried to talk to the child. And the child still just was not having it, this young boy. And so I remember he asked the mother specifically to step out of the room, which she did. Uh, I personally would not step out of a room if a doctor asked me to when they were trying to talk to my child about having a vaccination. I'm not blaming the mother. I'm just saying that's what happened. So I was in the room with the pediatrician as he's trying to talk to this young man. And finally, you know, the young man was just crying and screaming and just not really having it. And the doctor picked him up onto the exam table and said, you'll sit here. And he held him very firmly. The kid was still squirming around and stuff. So finally, the doctor um, basically like wrestled him into the corner of the exam table um, and in the walls there. And the kid was still wrestling. And finally, the doctor punched this little boy in his arm. And I was I was just really devastated by the whole thing. Uh, I did nothing. I did, didn't did stand up for the young boy. I didn't say anything to the doctor. I was at a time, you know, where I was just starting out my rotations. Um, I, I, honestly, I, I was just flabbergasted. And unfortunately, I did not do anything in terms of helping this young man's experience out. If I saw something like that today, I would have reacted much differently. But at the time, I was young. I was just starting out, and it was one of my first rotations. After he punched this little boy, um, he he grabbed the the vaccination um, off the table as he was holding him down, and then he he plunged it into the little kid's arm. And clearly, the kid was petrified. He did stop crying at that point, and the whole experience was just very very uncomfortable. So. The reason I tell this story, it left a big mark really on my career, on everything after that, after I witnessed that, you know, even later that day, I felt ashamed that I hadn't said anything. Um, and so it just brings me to my next point, which is this. I have worked, um, you know, in a clinic where we, we didn't really have much RN or LPN staff for PAs. And that was fine. And so we, we would have to do some of the things that, you know, an RN or an LPN would typically do. Again, not, not, I'm not above doing any of that stuff. We're all a team. But oftentimes kids would be put into my schedule for vaccinations. 
And, you know, the parents, first of all, if a child is put into my schedule for a vaccination, I give the parents a full informed consent about that vaccination. The many times after I would give informed consent about these vaccinations, in other words, telling the parent the benefits and the risks of this vaccination, they would have more questions and I would, you know, I would have some of the answers, not all of them. And some of them would not want to have the vaccination for their child afterwards. And then they would go and meet with their pediatrician who would ultimately, you know, that was also in the clinic in a different spot. Um, And then ultimately I would end up getting, you know, some sort of email or something from the pediatrician asking me why I had dissuaded their, their patient from having their child vaccinated. And, you know, I would respond saying I didn't dissuade anyone. I, I'm not against vaccinations. I gave them informed consent. And many of these doctors were very frustrated with me that I gave these people informed consent. Now, none of them said to me, don't do that. But there was an implication in my mind that they were not happy with me giving this informed consent because I'll be on, I know just for myself when I would go to the doctor with my children when they were younger, informed consent and actual informed consent was never given. It was just your child's due for this shot. You get the shot and then they give you a, a, a paper after the shot saying what things to look out for and when to come back. That's not informed consent at all. That's not even close to informed consent. So um, I I just feel that anytime you're going to give a vaccination, a medicine that's injected, or you're doing a procedure, any of these things, ethically, you're, you're obligated to let them know what the benefits and risks are of this. The other thing that would happen is, Um, if the parent did, you know, agree to have the vaccination for their child, which, you know, I would say probably 60% would go forward with it, which was fine. I was happy to give them that shot knowing that they were informed. Um, then the child would, you know, be very upset. They didn't want to have the vaccination. They would start crying and running away. And the parent would always say to me, Okay, do you want you want me to hold them on this side and you can hold them on that side or you know different things such as that. And immediately I would tell the parent I am not holding your child down. I'm not forcing your child to sit anywhere to have this vaccination. I'm not I'm not putting my hands on your child to restrain them so that I can give this vaccination. It it's not happening. And so if you um, want to get control, you know, of the, of your baby or your, your infant or your toddler. And, you know, I can show you different ways to hold them. I, you know, I will do it. Um, however, I can't do other kicking and screaming and moving around because anyone could get hurt at that point. I can, I can stick myself. I can stick you. I can stick the child in a place that I'm not supposed to. And, you know, many of the parents had difficulty getting their child you know, to sit still or, or listen and that sort of thing. In my mind, that's totally understandable. However, it's up to the parent to bring the child. I'm not talking about infants. That's different. But once you're a toddler 
and above, it's really up to the parents to have that ability to discipline their child and say, you're sitting here, you're getting the shot. Outside of that, I'm not, I'm not there to do that. And I'm not laying a hand on a child. That is incredibly traumatizing, if you ask me. And I think it's a big mistake that we in the medical community um, do to children over and over and over again. And, you know, after a while, the clinic stopped booking vaccinated patients with me because they realized that I wasn't just playing along with the simple thing where everybody comes in and gets a vaccination and, you know, I just force them down or I have two people come in and hold them down. I've seen this happen and you may have too if you're a parent. And I was not going to uh, consent to that. And, you know, some parents were really happy with my approach. Many of them were surprised. I never had a parent get upset with me when I gave them informed consent or said things to them like, I'm I'm not holding your child down against their will to give them an injection, period. That is not why I entered the field of medicine. And it's just not happening. So I just wanted to let everybody sort of know that story to give them something to think about next time they take their child to get vaccinated. Are you receiving informed consent? If you don't want it, that's okay. Then you can refuse it. But if you want it, you should be getting it. And so are you receiving informed consent? How is your child handled when they're saying they don't want a vaccination? And what happens after that? Uh, So just another little tidbit that I, I thought may be interesting to people. When you think about vaccinations over the years, you know, in 1983, the number of vaccinations on the VAC schedule for children up until the age of 18 was 24 doses of vaccinations. Um, Now, in 1986, a law was passed that many people may or may not be aware of, in which the pharmaceutical manufacturers that produce vaccines were freed from all liability resulting from vaccine injury or death. And this was called the Childhood Vaccine Injury Act. And in that act, it was it was made into law that um, pharmaceutical manufacturers that produce vaccines would not be liable for any of the injuries or deaths that resulted from the vaccines. And these are any vaccines. These are any vaccines, okay? That is why there is a system called the VAERS. My goodness, sorry about that. I got a motorcycle guy out here. There's something called VAERS. VAERS is a vaccine adverse event reporting system. That was one of the one of the things that um, was agreed upon. Since these people wouldn't be held liable for injury and death caused by their vaccinations, um, they had to open up something called VAERS. And a lot of people are familiar with VAERS at this point because of the COVID vaccines and all of the reports that were put out about VAERS. I'll just give you a little snapshot of what VAERS is. It's really not that complicated. There's been so much ado about, you know, VAERS, but here's basically what it is. When somebody 
gives a vaccination, for example, if you give a HPV vaccination to a young girl and two days later she comes back and she has, you know, um, headaches or joint pain or trouble walking, say, or you give a vaccination, say an MMR boost to a young child and a couple days later, they have a big red spot on their arm where the vaccination was given which is probably one of the more common side effects from vaccination. Typically, it's either just a local reaction or it could be an infection, a skin infection like cellulitis. Regardless, these are there's many side effects with these vaccines. If you go back into the office, or really if you go anywhere and you are treated for that, the physician, PA, nurse, NP, whoever's seeing them, is responsible and obligated to go on to VAERS, V-A-E-R-S, and report the side effect and report, you know, if you have it, the batch number of the vaccine and report all of these different things, okay? And, you know, I'll be honest with you, most people don't do this. Most Doctors, nurses, PAs, NPs don't do this. And the reason I know that is because when I practiced, I didn't even know about theirs until I had been practicing for about 15 years. Now, part of that's my fault because I should have known. But part of that is because people don't talk about it. It's not common knowledge. I was never told to do this as a policy any place that I was hired. And that's an issue to me. Regardless, once I found out about VAERS, when there was a side effect that would would happen from a medication, from a vaccination, I reported it. And I will tell you that it's not an easy thing to do. They make it they make it difficult. When you go on to VAERS and you and you put in your information, on multiple occasions, there are warnings stating that if you uh, give any false information, you know, you can be prosecuted, meaning me. If I'm reporting something and it's not true, then they're going to prosecute me. Am I positive that, that it's from the vaccination? I mean, there are just all these warnings to dissuade you from reporting the adverse event. I wasn't worried about that because I knew what I was doing was true and ethical. And I was really upset about the times in the past that I hadn't done this because I wasn't aware of it. So once you go in there, there, it's just a lot of work and it could take you probably 30, 40 minutes to fill out an adverse event. Most people, when they're seeing patients every 15 or 20 minutes, are not going to A, if they do know about it, aren't going to A, want to take the time to do it, or B, will be dissuaded because they're worried they could get in trouble for reporting it. This is not a... This is not a healthy system. Regardless, I would do that. And so I'll just bring the bears into the into the present and what happened with COVID. And uh, also patients could go on to VAERS as well. And that was another thing. You know, patients should be informed that when they are vaccinated or their child's vaccinated, if they experience some sort of side effects, they can go on themselves and report it. Now, they might not have the the vial number, the lot number, but they do have, you know, the name, date of birth, where they got it, and they explain the side effect. So for many, many years, you know, VAERS was under underutilized. Uh, 
there was a research paper, I believe in the New England Journal of Medicine, that reported how underreported vaccine side effects are and how even the ones that are reported on VAERS are not an accurate estimate of side effects for some of the reasons I just spoke about. When COVID came out, people were having a lot of side effects. And I don't know how VAERS was publicized. It's possible because the COVID vaccine was under an emergency use act. It's also possible that the amount of side effects were so overwhelming and significant that, you know, this was found out. I honestly don't know how it came about. It might have been listed on paperwork somewhere in the doctor's office or that they were handed after they were vaccinated. It's possible. Regardless, when it did, theirs became much more highly utilized and the side effects um, being listed on VAERS for these COVID vaccines was so elevated that you could take all of the years prior, meaning from like, I think probably 1987 when VAERS was created up until 2021 or 2020, whenever the vaccine for COVID came out, you could add all of those reports together for all vaccines, for all vaccine side effects. You could add them all together, and the number was still only, I think, maybe 10, 10% or 20% of the number of side effects that were reported in the year that the COVID vaccines came out. If you look at the graph, and there are some graphs online, you'll see it's just sort of like a steady, slow you know, steady low line on the graph. And then right when the vaccines came out for COVID, the thing shoots up and it it really just looks like a reverse L. It's incredible. And so that's significant. It tells you a lot about the side effects from COVID, but the COVID vaccine. But of course, people are picking it apart and the arguments that come out are the ones like, well, this is self-reported or these are just possible side effects. And, you know, that doesn't necessarily mean anything. And that's true. Some of them are self-reported and they are just potential side effects. That's true. But that's also true for all the years prior to the COVID vaccine coming out. And so if you're going to say the, the problems with VAERS and why that's not an accurate representation, you have to apply that same criticism to every year that VAERS has been out since 1986. And when you do that, you have to acknowledge, at least if you're logical, that there was an incredible increase in these reports. And so if nothing else, you have to investigate why. And the why is different. You know, I can't say the why. I can tell I can speculate the why. Um, but even people who are skeptical or felt that these vaccines are safe or feel they're safe have to recognize that that number went up significantly the year that COVID vaccines started being given out. And and that cannot be ignored, not if you're going to do any kind of analysis that's honest. And so that's the story about VAERS. The other thing that uh, one of the manufacturers did, it might have been Pfizer or Moderna, I'm not sure, or maybe it was for all of them. They created their own little system like VAERS called VSAFE. And VSAFE, 
um, was also to report these side effects. But that just created double work for many people. And so that just sort of made the issue that much more difficult. Regardless, you can go on to VAERS and look up what I just talked about and see it for yourself. You can access VAERS. You don't need any sort of medical certification or license to to go on there and look at it. I will tell you that they make it difficult. They do make it difficult to find this information. So just something to consider. And then lastly, I will attach a link to this, but I did read a really nice article about how to hold your child uh, when your child or toddler infant, you know, is, is being vaccinated and ways to help this. What I really appreciated about this article that I read, and it was written by a psychologist, was her acknowledgement of the trauma that is caused to children when we hold them down and force them or put them in these contraptions to be vaccinated. That is an actual real trauma, and I think it is completely ignored for the most part in clinics and primary care and pediatric, um, you know, uh, medicine uh, areas across this country. Now, I could be wrong. This is my possible skewed view of it, and I'd like to know other people's experiences and what they think. I could not find... uh, any sort of ethical guideline released by the American Pediatric Association or American Family Medicine Association or, or anyone that outlined how to give vaccinations in children who are resisting. I couldn't find anything on that. Now, that doesn't mean it's not out there, but I'm pretty good at researching and finding things. So to me, that, that that's concerning. I think, you know, Ethically, if you're going to give a vaccination to anyone, but particularly to children, we should not be restraining them while doing it. Anyway, love to hear your thoughts and hope you enjoyed this bonus episode. I'll be talking about mifepristone next in my next podcast later this week and discussing what happened. Why did the judge um, want to halt it and, and then... Now that it's overturned, why did Justice Alito dissent? And I'm no lawyer, but I can speak to Mifepristone and what some of the issues are there. Hope you'll join me. Peace.